Welcome to the new section of Co-op Cast. I'm one of your hosts, Steve, and today I'm recording from the future to bring you the very first episode of One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast under the new Co-op Cast banner. This is the first step of combining our podcast feeds into one full of awesomeness. This episode was recorded February 7th, 2018, so please enjoy. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, a podcast where we will discuss cooperative and solo board games. My name is Steve, and in this episode, we will discuss the purpose of this podcast and share some of our board game hobby origin stories. So join me today is the man, the myth, the legend, Colin. <laughs> hey everyone, how's it going? Yeah, we're going this is our first episode, so we're going to uh, see how this goes. Now this is going to be awesome. Uh, you know, Steve, I just have to say thanks so much for all the help that you've done for the One Stop Co-op Shop, the YouTube channel. And we're going to start this podcast just to add a little additional content for us, for you guys to enjoy. And because, hey, we don't like to stop talking about board games, do we, Steve? Never. I can talk all day. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, we I guess we've been um, talking on and off um, through YouTube and I've been helping Colin out on some of the uh, the videos he's been doing because I, I have a strange sickness where I actually like reading rule books. <laughs> so I've been crazy. Reading, yeah, I know craziness. And so I uh, I offered to help on and read the rule books and kind of watch the videos ahead of time. So and ever since then we've been talking how we wanted to contribute more to the community. And um, I've always wanted to try to do a little bit more. And so uh, one thing led to another, and we kind of just talked about trying to do a podcast so uh we'll see how this goes and see uh, how you guys like it but let us know so let's go and start talking about some games so colin if you want to start us off we can start talking about some of your recently played games yeah sure so you know the, the what we wanted to do here is just talk a little bit about games that we're playing right now so i i thought why not talk about the two games i'm actually showcasing on the channel right now that's uh myth dark frontier and dungeon alliance so Myth Dark Frontier, it's a fun game. Uh, it, so far, I I just posted today, which now will be two days prior, sorry, <laughs> because this is not going to come out until at least Friday, uh, but just posted our second video on uh, Myth, and it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, I've played a lot of castle or tower defense games, you know, King's Armory, Xeno Shift, and there's something about this game, Myth, that's fantastic. I and, and it really has to do with how you determine the actions that you're doing in the game. So you'll start out with your hand of cards. Each card can give you different actions, but then you put them into these different slots of either the morning phase, the day phase, or the night phase, and then you shuffle them all up along with the enemy cards, and you don't know who's going to go next. And you also have to make all those determinations for the morning, the day, and the night before you even reveal any of the cards. And so... All of a sudden, you can, after you start revealing cards and start doing actions, you go, oh, I really want to go on a quest, but you know what? That's not the card I picked. <laughs> so it's it's really cool. I'm, I've been really enjoying that. Um, I also, you know, if you think of Megacon games, this is, this is designed by Megacon games. They are dice-heavy games. You think of Myth. You think of, um, oh, what's the game that I already did on that channel? Oh, I can't even remember right now. But the, the, there's just tons of dice rolling all the time. And a lot of times it feels like everything's determined by the dice instead of determined by your actions. 
But in this one, I feel like they did a really good job of providing you with strategical decisions and a, and a lot of dice mitigation. So I feel a lot more like this is a, a, a strategical, st- strategic castle defense game, which is great. Yeah, I really liked how they uh, how they managed those um, the enemy cards on how I think was it five of them or so, and uh, you only pick three of them randomly. You don't know which ones they are, but like the next time you go through another round, you have some idea what might be coming. That's exactly it. That's I mean that you know you know some of the information, not all. So you have what partial information. That's perfect. That's exactly what you need in a co-op game where it, it can't be a hundred percent random, but it can't be where you can predict everything. And so that's, they, they do that really well. Exactly. I love that in games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, the bummer about the game is right now it's Kickstarter only. Maybe it's going to go to retail, but I mean, Megacon games is actually uh, being purchased by another company in about less than a month. They're going to, come public with who's purchasing it but before that we don't even know if this game's going to go to retail so that's kind of a bummer and just like most megacon games the rule book is not the greatest there's some items that you we, i don't really know if i'm doing right and nobody does but we just make the best decisions and go on with it and then the last thing of course is it's a long game it's a long game. <laughs> I think the two videos I have out right now are both 40 minutes, and I think we're only about a quarter of the way done with the game. So that's already an 80-minute game minimum, and you're looking at probably at least double that. <laughs> so yeah, it's a long game. So the other one that I'm doing is uh, Dungeon Alliance. Oh, Dungeon Alliance by Quick Quixotic Games. So great. Okay, here's the thing. In this game, you can, you've got your, you're building a deck of cards, of actions, but you're also going to be moving characters on the board. So it gives you that clank kind of feel, but instead of controlling just one hero, no, you're controlling four heroes. And each hero has their own set of three starting cards that creates your entire deck. And then what you're going to be doing is drafting cards into your deck of cards and activating heroes once per round. And you go and explore, you've got quests. Oh, it's just so much fun. But it is so brain burning because almost everything is deterministic. So I I kind of think of it a lot like Mage Knight, where You are just trying to figure out the best way to use the cards that you have available to you because you can always use two cards to do one of anything. So you can spend two cards to get plus one for attack, plus one move or whatever. And so you always have tons of options and it it provides you with that really strategic and and brainy gameplay but yeah your your head falls off because it can <laughs> it can it can cause a lot of ap so i really i really love that and then the quests themselves awesome it gives you a win loss objective cuz when this first came out on kickstarter he he had a solo mode but his solo mode was just beat your own score and a lot of people didn't want that and so he he actually responded to it. Andrew, awesome. He came out with this idea of quests. And now I've played twice with quests and it's great. It works really well giving you that win loss. So I love that. I do have to say that when you guys see the playthrough, (laughs) you're going to look at those cards. He wrote in full sentences on the cards, full sentences. So instead of what you think of in a lot of games, they have maybe a couple words, some symbols. No, it's all full sentence full sentences on the cards and that means that the cards are really 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 wordy 
and it's the same thing as the rule book. And so you almost get tired looking at a card and trying to read the whole thing to understand what it does. And I could see so many ways that he could have just made some symbology and made it a lot easier to to have cards be a quick glance and you know what they do instead of sitting there and trying to reread a card eight times to really understand what it means. So it's kind of a bummer. Um, the other thing is, is you'll you'll notice in the playthrough that I mean, the components are okay. The cards are great, but the components are okay at best. I mean, the the what you use as the outline of your dungeon, those don't even sit well together, and and the the dungeon tiles themselves are, are an okay cardboard. They're not great. So, just just know that some of the production quality isn't as great. But I mean, it is a Kickstarter. He didn't get a ton of money over what his funding goal was, so he wasn't able to do a bunch of that, a bunch of that, you know, upgraded components. But you know what? Overall, it's a great game, and you can play it co-op or competitive or solo. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's rare to find those games with those three modes that just work so well. It's that's I find that pretty rare to pull off. Yeah, and not only that, to have a game where you actually control multiple heroes no matter what, I was really hesitant. Because if you think about it, so many times people want a game, if I'm going to play it solo, I want to control one character. Yeah, in this one though, even if you play it co-op or competitive, you're controlling four heroes. So I'm really interested, Steve, to see what you think about this game. Yeah, that's in- that's interesting because um, for me, I definitely, given the choice, will always choose one character or one hand or whatever it is to be, you know, the, the one person. Um, like, one of the games I play a lot um, is Lord of the Rings, the living card game. I played it weekly with a friend out, out in California. Um, and oftentimes when people play it solo, they play two hands, for example. And I've for me, no, I, I'll just do one hand. So when I first saw this game come up on Kickstarter, I saw you play with four heroes, and I kind of, uh, I wasn't sure, so I kind of uh, passed on it. Um, but watching your playthrough, seeing how uh, it works as a more of a party, you're playing as one party. It seems like it. I, I might actually like it. So I'm pretty pretty interested interested to try this out. Yeah, it's it's really really interesting. But the like like I said before, there's so many options. You know which one you want to activate, and then you start spreading your heroes out, and all of a sudden it it gets hard. It gets brainy. You have to spend a lot of time thinking that's why i'm really curious i haven't played it with another player yet i've only played solo and i don't know how good it's going to play co-op or even competitive because i i think people's turns are going to take a long time because you have to decide well which one am i going to activate which one do i want to activate (laughs) you know but that's part of the joy of the game at the same time which is why i think it'll be a great solo game myth i think would be a great co-op actually i actually would think i'd prefer playing myth co-op but so far dungeon alliance yeah i'm really thinking solo for that one very cool okay steve so that is my two games i've talked way too much sorry why don't we talk about uh some games you're playing so i have to start with this uh first game uh runebound because i believe this was the first game that um colin and i kind of worked together on um I remember reading this rule book with him on, on his uh, relatively recent playthrough. However long ago that was, how many months? So, but uh, since then, I managed to uh, have a local friend um, in town. He had it, and I played it there, and and that kind of confirmed how much I was expecting to love it. And uh, I want to get my own copy. So yeah, um, let's dive into this. So for me, I like dungeon crawls just like everyone else. But given the choice. 
um, I tend to like adventure games even more. And what I mean by that, like for me, a dungeon crawl to me focuses more on the combat, like a lot of combat in it. And I like my games to have a little more variety in it. Like maybe I can go talk to some people, go explore. And for me, that's what Runebound does. Yeah, you can go fight here. I can go talk to some other people and I can go exploring. And I, I really like that sense of a, a world. And for this game, it has a ton of variety if you want to be able to expansions because you have all, tons of items you can get. Each scenario, you can choose a story. And the cool thing about this is the story elements get injected into each each of these uh, in, uh, adventure decks. And so it kind of brings the world a little more to life for us. And uh, yeah, the the skills you pick out, I've been finding as I play more and more, finding these interesting uh, synergies and combos between the skills where you can level up and acquire and the items you have and that makes it really fun for me and uh, the icing on the cake is the fact that my wife actually loves this game so that that's uh that's a winner in my book <laughs> so definitely that's always a winner that's awesome yeah so uh the other thing i like about it too is i feel like it's got a good amount of luck mitigation i mean there's dice in it for sure um but the cool thing is you can discard cards to re-roll the dice and can kind of do that basically whenever and um, I find that really nice addition and the fact that I know a lot of people don't like the pogs but there's only two sides to the pogs as opposed to like a you know six-sided dice or whatever so the you have a better chance of getting the side you want or you can mitigate it with some other pog mechanics so I quite like that in this game. I'd have to say for me one of my favorite parts of that game is the combat system, which is crazy because I'm like you. I love the exploration of, you know, exploring games where, hey, fighting isn't the only thing you need to do. But in that game, I loved the fighting because it was the pogs. It was something different. It also, it just provided you with different strategical decisions because you buy items and some of these items actually give you more pogs. So you wanted to get items to get pogs to then kind of get more combos. It's just, it was a great system. I, I really liked that. It was really funny when I introduced this to my wife and she was like, Oh, so um, how do you do combat? I'm like, Oh yeah. So you take these pogs and you kind of, you shake them up and you, you, you throw them down. And it's like, what, what? I, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> And she was like kind of struggling with all these pogs in her hand. And at some point of the night, she's like, can I just throw these like way up in the air, have them fly on the ground everywhere? I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? So we had like pogs <laughs> flying everywhere throughout the house. It was pretty hilarious. Oh, that's awesome. That's the best way to do it. That's how I'm going to play the next time. I'm just going to throw them in the air. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one thing that I didn't quite care for, though, in the game is definitely the setup and teardown uh, to like, you have to kind of see the decks and there's quite a bit of pieces to pull out. Eh, it wasn't as as quick as I would like in most games, but not as bad as Gloomhaven, though, right? Oh, you have you played Gloomhaven? I have much? played Gloomhaven. That one is yeah, that one is difficult to set up, and I, but I feel like a lot of the dungeon crawls it's kind of like par for the course for them. So yeah, I th I think they just assume that you have a table specifically set up just for dungeon <laughs> crawls, you know, That's so that true. way you can have it up for for months on end. Yep. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is like. As much as they added this, um, well, I should say this, Runebound originally was a competitive game, and I never really got into it. I was aware of it, but I never was interested in it because it was competitive, and I'm fine with competitive games, but I definitely prefer cooperative games, and a big reason for that is the fact that my wife will play it. If it's cooperative, she will always try it. 
competitive. She's um she'll try things here and there. So, but uh, when they announce this cooperative expansion, um, it's cool and it adds uh, some nice cooperative elements in it. But the problem is, it still feels quite a bit like multiplayer solitaire, and I kind of wish they had a way where you could like gang up and attack a a, a villain or a, an enemy together. Or getting up and do adventures together, and that's not really there. You, at most, you, I feel like you just kind of share, trade things, and then travel together as a party. I kind of wish there was more cooperative elements in here. I think the you could get one of the co-op skills would let you fight together. You could maybe toss one of your pogs in with somebody else. But you're right. It, in most cases, you can't. And I think the reason they did that was just because of balance. How yeah. would they make sure that there was an enemy that, you know, you could fight individually and it would be a challenge, but then you could also fight together and it would be a challenge. Agreed. And, and I think you also hit something else right on the nose is that if I'm going to play this with more than just myself, I'm playing it with two people. I'm not going to play it with three or more because the issue is when you go into a battle, it can last eight to 10 minutes potentially. And you only need two people, one who's throwing the pogs for the enemy and one who's throwing pogs for the, uh, for the hero. And the other people just sit there on their phone or go get something to eat. You know, (laughs) it, it just, uh, it, I tried playing it four player and it was not working. I think the only way it would have worked at four player is if somehow you could have people doing their turns during other people's turns, you know, so kind of where you could almost do simultaneous turns and then maybe that would work. But I still don't – you need to know what your your uh, fellow heroes are doing so that doesn't really work. Uh, but, yeah, I wouldn't play this more than with about two people. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, and the other thing is the component-wise, um, no really complaints with components because it's Fancy Flight. They do an excellent mm-hmm. job overall with components. But in this game, they um, added stickers onto the dice, and not really much a fan of that. I've heard of them kind of falling off for some people. Um, I kind of wish there was an option for engraved, or even, like, would be amazing if they used the same uh, printing technique they used for uh, Star Wars Destiny. It would be awesome. But, I mean, I haven't had, personally had any problems, but it would be a nice way of just upgrading it. I feel like that's the only um, cheap part of the game. Well, and I think actually, so I talked to somebody about that. And one of the things, the reasons they did that was because they wanted the picture to match on the die exactly with what the terrain looked like. And that's almost impossible to do on an engraved die. And so that's why they decided to go with the stickers. But yeah, I agree. It, it feels like everything else is premium, you know, fantasy flight premium and then stickered dice. Yeah, and these dice are those little plastic pieces of junk that <laughs> feels like they were just left over from something and Fantasy Flight picked it out of the trash and threw some stickers on it. Went, great, here you go. Play with them. Roll them. No. Yeah, so it's a bummer, but I, I understand as long as they stay on there, I actually do like that it matches what the um, terrain looks like because then you can even put them on the terrain and you can kind of see where your hero is going to move and it, it looks cool. So I get it, but I, I do agree with you. I wish that they were nicer quality. Cool. Yeah. So that's, I've been playing that recently with my wife, but my other local friend, uh, Elijah, when the Imperial Assault app was announced, we jumped the gun and like, finally, co-op Imperial Assault, let's make this happen. So I am trying to think, this was, um, it was over Christmas break, I think. And so we just hammered it out. We had a lot of fun. We played, 
I want to say like two or three missions back to back. So that in <laughs> yes. itself says something. Um, I mean, I've been wanting a good Star Wars co-op game for a while now. And the Lord of the Rings living card game originally was a Star Wars living card game co-op game. So I kind of wish. Really? They... I did not know that. Yeah, it was. And I, I'm trying to think of the reason why they, they went away from it. I think it had something to do with they kind of wanted people to be able to play light and dark side, and they couldn't really work doing that in a co-op environment. So, yeah, no, you can't. Yeah, so I think that's why they went away from that. Um, but to me, I think that's the only only game I could think of that was a Star Wars co-op game. Uh, so hearing this and Pure Assault become co-op, I was like, yeah, let's let's make this happen. Are there any other ones now that you know of? Uh, not that I know of. I mean... The only other thing I can kind of think of is if you consider role-playing games cooperative, which they kind of are. Oh, actually, I lied. There is one, um, and it's been a a variant that uh, someone at BGG created. It's a uh, a co-op campaign for Star Wars X-wing. Seriously? Yeah, that sounds awesome. And you like so you start with like a low low-level ship, and you can actually like upgrade your ship as you play this campaign. Um, I've not done it yet, but it sounds awesome. Do you have X-Wing? Oh, yeah. Of course I do. <laughs> I should have known. I should have known. <laughs> that's that's probably my most favorite game that I'm the worst at. Like, I'm horrible at flying. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. I will, every game, I will fly into an asteroid or fly off the map, guaranteed, and just, it's really bad. But I have so much fun playing it, I don't care. That's the game where you have to decide your movement beforehand, right? You all do that. You all decide your movement simultaneously, then you reveal it, and okay. Yep, you got cool. it. Yep, yep. There's a lot of a lot of uh, depth to that game too. Um, one of my good buddies, um, actually, we're going to meet at Gen Con, I think. Um, he's real big into it, and so he'll be playing the tournament, I'm sure. I might have to come and watch a little bit of it. I have got a buddy who's who's into actually Armada, but and so. Uh, I just want to see what the difference is because I've I've seen Armada, but I haven't seen X Wing. So I've played them both, and I've played the tr- Star Trek version as well. Um, they're all got their different different pros and cons for sure. Armada is kind of interesting because there you really get the feeling of these big, massive ships that have like this momentum you have to consider in it. Um, it's pretty fun though. Um, I think uh, for me, I kind of like X-Wing better because I like the, I don't know, flight formations more. That little, I've seen like the professional players in X-Wing are crazy when they, uh, are, some of the maneuvers they can do. It's nothing I can do for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. It was uh, fun playing Imperial Assault. The one thing that I wasn't expecting, and I have not played the Descent app, but uh when we were playing the Imperial Assault app, every once in a while we had a narrative mission, as I'm calling them. And so you don't actually put anything out on the board and minis on the board. You just read paragraphs and you might roll some dice. It's actually um, very reminiscent of the recent game Legacy of Dragonhold, which is pretty cool. Like a choose your own adventure. I was not expecting that in this app, but it was it was a nice change of pace from always having minis on the map. That's really cool. I can't believe they do that. I'm so excited to try this game. I I have it. My wife wants to paint it. And so I said, well, hey, if you want to try painting, go right ahead. I'll wait to do 
a playthrough of it until you paint it. But that means I have to wait till she actually paints it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was fun. I mean, and I like the variety of missions. It, I didn't feel too samey. Like there was not. I'm not trying to spoil anything, but there was not always a combat mission. You had to do some other things in there, which was nice. I, I appreciate that. Um, but one thing that I love in board games is a uh, interesting AI system. Because I like playing cooperative. I like to have some AI that's cut some meat, some some wheels to it. And in Imperial Salt, because it wasn't designed from the ground up, I f- it the AI they have works, but it felt a little wonky to me. And, and it's just like there are moments where it's like, well, what kind of what works? What happens here? Should the enemy do this or this? And it feels kind of weird. It's going to do this instead. And it wasn't quite as smooth as I like it in my AI systems. Would you say that it was uh, our descent is smoother? I have not played the descent app, so I'm not sure okay. um, on that. I'm just curious because I have both. I really need to get them out. Just too many games. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I I've heard that descent is a little more straightforward. But it's also because all they do is just the same thing. They move up to you and whack you on the head with a hammer or whatever it is. Versus. Uh, uh, um, Imperial Assault's a lot more about repositioning and getting a better uh, angle because they're doing a lot more range attack versus descents a lot more, hey, I'm just going to hammer you over the head because I'm a huge ogre. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of running and gunning from the AI in this system. The other thing that was kind of nice too is um, the healing uh, option in this game. I feel like it's better than the base game, actually. Um, really? Yeah, so... Um, this is not a spoiler because you find this out almost immediately if if you play the tutorial. But in the base game, if you when you rest, um, you recover your strain. If you have left over, you can heal. Can't do that in this campaign. Instead, you get these uh, med packs, and they're not an actual physical component. It's just a, a a tally in the app, and then you can spend these at some point later on to actually heal yourself. So that was pretty oh. interesting. I felt like it, I felt more balanced. But it's really hard to say because I, I was playing a support character, specifically the med, med uh, the medical droid, and so I had some a lot of ability to heal in the game anyway. But uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, the only the other thing I didn't quite care for is the uh, the map tiles. So we'd be playing the game and we got a good rhythm going. We open the door and it's like find this map tile and this map tile, these things, and it just. <laughs> With all the content out there, it took us a while. We had to stop the game, go find the pieces. It was a huge deal, but I kind of wish in the beginning of the game they would say, okay, for this game, you're going to need XYZ, you know, the whole list of all the map tiles. So you just set them to the side and you can grab them from that smaller pile rather than going through all your stuff um, in the middle of the game. Immersion. It's all about that immersion, it is. right? Because it's it's going to break it when you have to spend 15 minutes finding that blasted tile. Because you know what? It was on the backside of the first one that you looked at, but you forgot to look at the backside of it, right? Yep, that happens. always happens. <laughs> always. Oh, I hate that. And, and Yeah, Ugh, that's the worst part about a dungeon crawler. Hey, pull out this, this uh, tile. I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just use something else. No. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and then the when we played it, it was when the app was recently released. So they still had have, hadn't added the uh, all the enemies in the game. So it became a little samey for us. But with a recent update, I'm pretty sure that's not going to be the case anymore. That's probably not an issue. 
yeah, it's not going to be an issue for very long either. I mean, you know, even if it is still, because they're they're going to support this. You can see that it's already happening. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and then the character I want to play, it wasn't supported either. He had the uh, weird ability. So there's a few things they're going to definitely tweak and add. And I, oh, the other thing that was interesting too is the uh, the items. The prices are totally different. Like the car, actual cards you have doesn't matter, and the the app itself will give you the price and. Sometimes they're close, other times they're wildly different. It, I'm not sure how they figure that out, but who knows? Maybe they randomly did it. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean the hope is that maybe they tried to balance it for when you're only playing co-op. And hey, you know this weapon's really good on basic AIs, so they make it cost more or something like that. You know? Yeah, that could very well be it. But I mean, I liked it. It was pretty fun. I would definitely play it again. Wasn't blown away, but definitely enjoyable. Cool. Is it is it enough that you're keeping Imperial Salt in your collection? Well, I don't have it in my collection, but... <laughs> oh, that's right, because you're playing your buddy's copy. Correct. But if okay. I had it, okay. I would keep it. Yep. Okay. But there's no reason for you to get it because he has it. Right. Okay, perfect. So yeah, I guess that kind of is a, our discussion of our recently played games, and uh, I think let's start talking about some new stuff coming on the pipes. Yeah, so in in this part of the of the podcast, we we thought we'd talk a little bit about games that are upcoming, either upcoming on Kickstarter, upcoming on being released as a, a fully published game, or maybe one that's uh, a Kickstarter that's actually you know coming out right now that they're uh, they're shipping out. So we'll we'll talk about all of those today. We're mostly talking about Kickstarters that are on Kickstarter right now. So if you guys are interested in backing any of these, what we're going to do is I'm going to post this on YouTube and you can go into the description and find links to the Kickstarter pages for all of these games that we're going to talk about. That also is going to include, I'll put links to the games that we talked about that we've just recently played. Uh, both, I've got a couple playthroughs of the ones that I talked about and the first one that Steve talked about. And so I'll put links for those. And then for Imperial Salt, I'll just put a BGG link. So if you're interested in seeing more, you can find it on BGG. Okay, so what we did is we kind of split this up on games that we're interested in. All the ones that I'm going to talk about, I'm, I'm backing on Kickstarter. Uh, I don't think that's the case for Steve, but... I just letting you know that, hey, these are ones that I'm interested enough in that I'm actually backing them. And uh, <laughs> first one is Zaya, Legends of Adrift System. There is a expansion out, and that's uh, that's designed by Far Off Games. It's a small expansion just for some additional mission cards. But the big thing about this Kickstarter is if you're looking at getting the base and the uh, solo expansion called the Forsaken Star expansion, you can get them at a decent price right now. So check that out. If you like space and you like exploration and you're okay with a lot of dice rolling, this game is for you. I have a playthrough on the channel, so you can feel free to check it out. But if it looks interesting to you, get it. Because after this Kickstarter, it's going to be harder to get the game. And so that's going to mean that you'll have to pay a premium. So if it looks interesting, go ahead and, and, and check that out. Yeah, the game I'll talk about is um, on Kickstarter as of this recording. Um, when this gets posted, it, Kickstarter might be over. But I did reach out to the company and they are going to have a late pledge option, so you can get it regardless. So that, that game is Tiny Epic Zombies by Gamelin Games. So a uh, little disclaimer here, I am a Tiny Epic fan. I have all the uh, collection to date behind me right now on my game shelf. Something about like the form factor, the size, and 
I travel a lot for work, so it's easy to throw them in the bag. I, I just like the whole system. So, but this game caught my attention because it's co-op, which is awesome. Uh, but it's got five modes of play. Uh, solo, uh, so fully co-op. You can do one versus many, so that's basically co-op. But one player winds up being the zombie player. You can do competitive. And then you could do competitive where someone controls a zombie player. So five modes of play. I did read the rule book, rule book and I feel like um, this will actually work. Sometimes when they make these claims, one or, one or a few of these modes don't quite work out. But I think it's going to work out here. I'm pretty excited about that. So what's this game about? It's set in the modern era, like now, today. It's set in a mall. And uh, you are starting from a courtyard in the mall. And there's you actually lay out the random mall tiles around it. And the survivors have to complete three objectives. And there's a bunch of objectives to choose from, but and they'll describe various scenarios. And you have to complete those three. Uh, zombies win or survivors lose if, this, if all the survivors are eliminated or if the zombies overrun the central courtyard. So that's kind of how it works. Um, one thing that was kind of interesting about this is your survivor pieces are always on the move. You can't really stand still in this game because the zombies are everywhere. And it's, it's, it's actually a built-in mechanic. You have to plan out your movement into what actions you want to do ahead of time. So it sounds kind of cool. I'm kind of excited about that. And then the other thing you have to do, too, is you have to balance your ammo and your health. So how it works is on the top of your survivor card, you have an ammo token and a health token. And as you take wounds, your health token goes up. And as you fire your gun, your ammo token goes, goes down. And if ever they meet, then you're eliminated. So that's kind of interesting, you know, give and take. Like, cool, I can shoot from range. It's easy to kill these zombies. If I do that, I'm getting closer to death. I got to be careful here. So I, I like that that uh, mechanic they added in there. The other thing that's pretty cool is back of all survivors, they, they become zombies. And you start with one of these, and they give zombies special powers, basically. And as survivors die the zombies get more and more special powers, so the game kind of ramps up as people get eliminated. It sounds really cool. A question for you, Steve. When you say that uh, a specific survivor can get eliminated, if that's a player, is that player eliminated from the game? They don't do anything for the rest of the game? Great question. Um, no, um, the, the survivor is eliminated, but the player just chooses a different survivor. So you're always in the game. Oh, cool. So you aren't playing a specific survivor. You're playing... Just a general pool of survivors? Anybody can activate any survivor? Um, you are playing a specific survivor, just that when that survivor turns into a zombie, you just grab a new one and, and join the game. Got it. So you'd always get a new one. Is that one of the ways you can lose those if there's no more new ones for you to grab? Um, at this point, that's probably not going to happen because they have a ton of survivors. They unlocked in the Kickstarter. So um, I'm, there is um, some generic uh, survivors there in the courtyard. So how it works is when one of your survivors gets eliminated, you pull off one of these generic courtyard survivors and you re-enter the game as a new survivor. Okay. Or if the zombies enter the courtyard, they can attack those generic survivors as well. So like you can actually go get supplies, come back and build a barricade to protect those survivors. We also have to get out there to do scenarios. It's kind of an interesting system they have. Yeah, and plus this uh, comes with their uh, item meeples. So if you guys aren't familiar with that, um, Tiny Epic Quests is the game currently out there that uses this system. And um, coming down the pipes uh, soon is Tiny Epic Defenders has eye meeples. But what it is is they have these plastic meeples and they have holes drilled through them. And they've been producing these small, um, 
I don't, I don't see even miniatures, but like sculpts with pegs in them. And so as you acquire items, you stick these items into your meeples. So your meeples are actually holding these things or carrying backpacks and stuff. It's actually a pretty cool system they have. Um, it adds a little bit more immersion to the game. So we talked a lot about this. The campaign is ending February 9th, um, but I did talk to Gamelin, and they said that uh, two weeks after it ends, you can go and either go to their website or go to the Kickstarter page, and they'll have a, a pledge, pledge manager you can join to uh, late pledge. And you can get the deluxe version after the fact. So That's cool. Thanks, Steve. Thanks. I mean, that, that sounds awesome. For whatever reason, I haven't really been a tiny epic dude so to speak. Um, so I'm actually not backing that one, but I did back tiny Epic defenders. Oh, I'm excited for that one. That one. Yeah. I, I played the original one and I know that some people, AKA Tom Vassell <laughs> had a problem with that game and it, it kind of hurt it a little bit. Uh, a lot of people just didn't even try it, but it was actually really fun. And I liked how your, you never knew when your turn was going to happen. And that deck continually got seeded with more and more enemies. And so you just felt more and more like, you know, the world was going to end or you, you were going to lose. I, I loved how that worked. Um, and it was so simple. I mean, you could play it at, at dinner, you know? And so um, I'm really excited for Defenders when that comes out. Me too. I backed the one, of course. So in that game, I've actually played on an airplane before. I remember flying internationally. I popped that thing out. I was able to, it took a little bit, but I was able to like kind of work it onto the, the your trade play. It was pretty fun. Yeah, see, that's awesome. It's It's a great small game. It's a great small game. So I'm, I'm excited because I sold my other one since I backed this one. So I haven't been able to play it recently. So I, I can't wait for that to come out. All right. My next one. Isles of Terror, uh, published by Voodoo Games. So this one I haven't heard a lot of information about, but I saw it and it looks really cool. Um, I don't know Voodoo Games at all. I don't know any other game. They have done three or two other Kickstarters, I believe. So they've done other games. I've just never heard of them. Uh, but Isles of Terror is a, can be a solo, a co-op, or a competitive game. Uh, it's an exploration game, and it's on an island. And if you guys know what my number one co-op and solo game is, which is Spirit Island, you know that I love islands. So <laughs> I have to like this game. <laughs> um, the, the game is about exploration on, on the island. Um, it has this really cool, unique action selection uh, system where you have your player board, and you are going to take three actions for each season. And those actions, you're going to place your little action marker on your player board, and it's connected by lines to different actions. And you can choose one of those actions to do. But each of your three spaces on your player board are connected to different actions. So you have to kind of plan on, well, if, if I do this action now, I'm not going to be able to do that action later. And so you have to have, to have some long-term thinking while also having that short-term, well, what do I need now? And so you'll be going and exploring the island, finding many finding bosses, taking them out. The uh, battle is resolved by dice. There is quite a bit of dice chucking for combat, but that's really the only part that's using dice. And how that works is also kind of cool. So when you do your combat, you get to roll dice based upon the number of characters that you have in the fight. So you're going to be recruiting soldiers and you'll be attacking. Let's say I have four soldiers. Well, I'll roll four dice and I'm going against 
three cannibals. Those cannibals, each one will get three dice. And so you'll roll that whole set of dice and then compare the highest number for the cannibals and the highest number for you. And if you're higher, then you remove one of the dice of the cannibals and you keep going that way until one of them has no more dice in their dice pool. And then I just think it's a cool way to mitigate having terrible dice rolls because you've got, you're going to be rolling more dice if you've got more soldiers and if you start losing soldiers well then you're losing dice i just i liked how that worked it sounds really cool and uh for the at least the solo and the co-op there there are going to be winning objectives you've got ways to win it's not just going to be about you know trying to get a high score but there's also going to be victory points so you'll be able to compare if you do the same scenario you can compare how you did in different uh, plays of the game with how many victory points you got. Oh yeah, and you'll have missions. You'll have your own personal mission, and at the end of each of your turns, you'll be drawing an event card, and it kind of brings you into the theme of the game. Yeah, it, it seems really cool. They have pretty good playthroughs on the, the Kickstarter. It's done by the designer himself, and um, yeah, it's fun. You can see how much fun they're having in the game, that's what I really like. I love it when you can see and, and feel that fun that they're having while playing the game. And that's definitely what I got for this one. That action selection seems really cool when I looked into it. Like, that has a lot of potential to, like, you can grow that system. Absolutely. And and what's cool is he has a different player board for competitive versus cooperative, too. So oh. when you play cooperative, you'll have actions where you can share things with other players. You can help other players, maybe if they're in a combat. But in the competitive, you're not going to have that. So he's got different connections that way. But yeah, he can easily change that. Even I think different uh, i don't know this for sure but i think that if you're a different faction so a different group you might have different actions connected to different um action uh, sets for you so you for somebody who is uh really an attacky kind of group you might have more places where you can go and do an attack action versus others that are more of a negotiation uh, a type of race or whatever, they'll have more places they can go for negotiation. And yeah, that's the other cool thing is you can you can negotiate with the locals that are there or heck, you can just fight them, you know, and it's it's cool. You've got those different options for you. Is that kind of like an open world feeling or? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to tell, you know, with the, it, it feels like it. I mean, it, you're going to, you're not going to have anything that you have to do, but you're going to have your missions. You're going to have your, your objectives to win the solo or co-op game. So I feel like it's not maybe as open-ended as Runebound, but it's, it's um, still more open-ended than, you know, your basic dungeon crawler because you have different ways that you can score those victory points. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it. I, I, I don't know the company, so I'm taking a little bit of a chance there, but I, I still am really excited for it. Speaking of taking a chance, um, next thing I'm talking about, um, I'm not doing the company. I don't know the company either, but I am so excited for this game, and that game <laughs> is Uboot. Uboot. I'm not. I'm probably botching this uh, by Phalanx Games or Phalanx. And uh, what this is, this is a app-driven real-time worker placement simulation, cooperative simulation. And you are you and four or three other friends are operating a uh, U-boat in World War II, and I am just over the moon with this thing right now. I'm like <laughs> reading up everything, watching all the videos, of course reading the rule books because that's my sickness, and I'm sure my buddies are tired of me always talking about this game, but yeah. So what this is about is there's four roles. You can be captain, first officer, navigator, chief engineer, and so it's, I mean, it probably plays best four players. But the question has been asked, 
How's this scale down to one player, two, and three? And everything I've seen sounds like, yeah, it works great at the other player accounts as well. So we'll see when it comes out. But um, I feel, I'm feeling pretty confident it was because it sounds like they play tested at one player a lot, at least. So there, there you have that. And how it adjusts is for each role, you can choose, you can actually scale the level of detail or the mental focus. You have to, to pay attention to each of those roles. So you can scale up and down as you as you add or remove roles or combine roles, I should say. So that's kind of cool. So so the game that I can think of, Steve, that this reminded me the most of was XCOM, where XCOM definitely you needed four players. I mean, when you watch someone play that solo, it, it looked like they were falling off of their chair because they just couldn't do everything in that amount of time, right? And so that's my biggest hesitation is how would this work solo when you have all those different specific roles that work so well in a four-player game, but what happens when you are playing with just one or maybe even two? And and does it scale well enough to where players don't feel like they're having to do multiple things like they didn't ha- they wouldn't have to do if they're playing a four-player game? That would be the, the things that I would be worried about. Yeah, I completely agree. And I had the same, same thoughts because uh, I know XCOM was a little difficult. That's a great example. So this is a real-time game. And so not only can you scale each um, each role, but you can scale the time factor as well. So uh, I think the last update I heard is that I'm going to have uh, this, the slowest time scale being one-to-one. Meaning like, hey, this is, you are literally waiting to travel this distance. This is like what it would actually take, how long it would take to actually travel this distance in real time. So you are sitting around a table and you've got time to think about it for the most part. You would have to scramble, of course, when you hear, you know, uh, sonar pings or depth charges coming at you. I'm sure things are going to get <laughs> frantic then. Um, and that's in the game too. You'll, you'll hear the stuff as it comes comes at you. But it sounds like you do that. And you can also pause pause the app too. So I think between changing the scaling, pausing it, and scaling up and down these individual roles, and actually there's actually a uh, difficulty setting for the game too. Um, I'm thinking there's enough dials and knobs to turn where you can balance it to your needs. So um, definitely a risk. But I'm I'm all interested in this game. I hope it's great. So, so yeah, I guess what is this game about? Um, it's actually you can play kind of three different ways. Uh, skirmish, which is quickly punch out a game. It's fine. You can do a full mission, or you can do uh, actually a campaign play. And they the missions could be anything from like a simple tutorial: go go out there and plant some mines, go escort, go um, check out the weather at this location, or go uh, sink some ships. It it could be a lot. There's a lot of different choices and how it's set up is it's very much like an open world system is what they're gearing towards. So you could be like sailing along and you get a, uh, a, a sonar ping. There's a contact off, off your bow um, and you actually grab your app device and you hold it up using the gyroscope and you look through your, uh, your phone like you're looking through the periscope and you actually can find the contacts and you see the silhouette. You've got a map to figure out what type of ship it is, what what uh, how many metric tons it would be, and you can kind of figure out, hey, do you want to engage this? There's some escorts nearby. You can you have to plot your course, and there's actually like the navigator uses a protractor to navigate. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> yes, give this all to me. Like this is this is a heavy game. I think I'm really think it is because these guys they are trying to be fairly realistic but still making it fun and not being too overwhelming like streamlining it where they need to but it's definitely gonna be um 
yeah, when you have a protractor and these attack vector patterns and other things to do, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. It just sounds so awesome. I just don't see it working for solo play. I don't know. And I could be totally wrong. But thinking of all of a sudden having to pull out a protractor while there's a ping going on and you're trying to determine the trajectory of your torpedoes all at the same time and it's just you, I don't know. I I feel like this game will thrive at a four-player count, but at, at a one-player or even two-player, I, I was just so hesitant. That's why I ended up backing out of this one. Yeah, that's a great point. And I... I think we'll find out. Um, the the designers seem pretty confident, so I'm kind of I'm taking a risk and taking the word for it. But um, oh, the other thing I should mention too is this project. They are not doing any Kickstarter exclusives, so no matter what's out there, you can get later. It'll be at a, a higher cost than you get at Kickstarter, but that's the nice thing about it. So even if you are a little hesitant, this sounds cool. You want to wait? No problem. You can get everything that the, the Kickstarter backers are going to get. Yeah, and I think I think Rado has a playthrough of it, and uh, Rolling Solo talks a little bit about how to play it solo. So you've got those uh, as references, too, for you guys if you want to see if this sounds interesting to you. And if you're like Steve and really excited about it and want to read the rule book, too, they've got the rule book as well, right? <laughs> yeah, and they don't just have a rule book. They have a tactical guide as well. They have a tactical guide? This is amazing. Yeah. That's awesome. So for someone like me, like I'm immediately dumb when it comes to like world war ii stuff sometimes like i don't know the first thing about sub warfare honestly so they made this tactical guide so it kind of gives you like some basic strategies and and like some basic world war ii historical knowledge on how to play this game so that's going to help quite a bit so yeah i'm really excited and the ai is supposed to be controlled by the app it's supposed to be pretty uh, dynamic i'm i'm excited so if you're interested in this game kickstarter campaign ends february 15th so be fairly soon here, but like I said, um, once it hits retail, whenever that is, you can get everything anyway. But it's uh, U-Boat by Phalanx. You got another game to talk about, Colin? Yeah, I've got two. Another another <laughs> seafaring one, actually? Yeah, actually, good, good, good segue. Yeah, I've got two. I'll go kind of quick because both of them are, I don't have a ton on. Um, but the first one is Dead Man Tells No Tales. Uh, it's uh, published by Minion Games. And it's uh, designed by King Klenko. And, you know, he did Fuse, right? Flatline. Um, he's done a lot of really good co-op games. And I don't know if, if you've not played Dead Man Tells No Tales, do. Because if you like pirates and you like co-ops, I, I don't know any other co-op pirate games. And so that's what this is. You're going in, stealing loot, getting out before the ship sinks. And so that's the base game. Well, they are having an expansion, the Krakens expansion. And also they're uh, providing minis. So when right now they have little tiny meeples, which are actually really cool. They're uh, pirate-sized meeples. But now they'll have actual minis for the base game. And then with the expansion, they're adding the Kraken, who then you'll have to defeat as well as uh, find loot within the ship that you're looting. Uh, so it's pretty cool. And they also are adding in a couple other small things like red deck hands instead of just the white ones. And they're kind of kind of like your leaders. Um, they're giving you more actions that you can do because you can you'll have to fight the tentacles of the Kraken. Uh, yeah, and it's just it's 
all around a lot of fun. And it's it's not a game, I wouldn't say it's a highly strategic game, but it's one that I can play with my kids. It's one that I can play with non-gamers and they like it because A, they like pirates and and B, it's it's simple to understand, but it, it's, it's hard. Those You're trying to deal with fire all at the same time. And so you're trying to deal with fire while looting, while fighting off skeleton hordes. <laughs> it's really cool. So I highly recommend at least looking at Dead Man Tells No Tales, but then if you want to look at this Kickstarter, this Kickstarter, you can get the expansion, you can get the minis. Yeah, really cool. I'm going in for both the minis and the expansion. I'm excited for it. So I love how they added a Kraken in this game because having the ability to yell, release the Kraken, like Clash <laughs> of the Titans, come on. That's awesome. Oh, it's so true. Yeah, it looks really cool. I'm, I'm just, I'm excited. And it, it's one that I'm never going to get rid of. I might not pull it out a ton, but I'll pull it out with my kids. I'll pull it out with my wife. I'll pull it out with people that maybe aren't as much of a gamer. And it's a lot of fun. It's who doesn't want to be a pirate. And, and yet you don't have to then be backstabbing. You can be a pirate together and have fun. Yeah, it's cool. I appreciate the uh, the change in theme, too, because like a normal pirate game wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily think go on to a, a scuttled ship that's in flames to steal loot. I feel like that's not. It's a nice change of a pirate theme. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah, usually when you think of a pirate, you're you're just destroying ships and then moving on. Right. And, you know, you're almost like the skeleton ship yourself instead of you actually going on to the skeleton ship and trying to loot that specific ship. Yeah, and what I love about the game is uh, there's this part in the instructions that talk about if your character dies, meh. You just get a new one because the captain doesn't care. <laughs> I love that. It's totally thematic. Yeah. So if my character's in an area and it blows up, then yeah, you just grab a new character. And one of the ways you lose is if you there are no more characters to grab. So, you know, it, it's fun. It's 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 a great game. So yeah, but I, my last one I want to talk about, this one just came out on Kickstarter, I think today. Um, and it's, it's actually a reprint, but it's a reprint of a very... I would say complex game called CO2. Uh, this one is going to be, it's called CO2 Second Chance, published by Geochicks. And it's uh, designed by Lacerda. And you can just imagine <laughs> what type of game this is. But guess what? It's going to be co-op. I think that is the first co-op that Lacerda has done. So I'm really, really excited for that. Uh, the the first game, first edition was semi-co-op. But people, the what? What people were seeing was that when somebody was finding out that they're not going to win in the semi-co-op, what they could do is sabotage the entire team and everybody would lose. And so it just wasn't really working as a semi-co-op for a lot of groups. And so what he did is he designed a co-op, but then he's still keeping the semi-co-op. You can just use the other side of the board. So it's not like you can't play the original game. It's just that now he's added a full co-op mode. And as a stretch goal, he's going to have solo, which... That would be a great discussion, I think, at some point to talk about stretch goal solo modes. <laughs> but I do think with Lacerda, he does a really good job with his solo modes. I mean, I have not played it yet, but I have talked to a lot of people that have played Lisboa as a solo game, and it's supposed to be fantastic. It's supposed to be really good. And so I think he's upped his game in the solo world, so to speak. And so I'm really excited to see how they would implement solo for this game. And I, I should tell you a little about the game, right? <laughs> the game is, it's actually kind of set in the real world, set in 2010. There's the issue of um, 
planets it's getting too warm in the planet so what do we want to do we want to save the world find different ways to uh, create energy and so you are an energy company and you're trying to work together to save the world and to do that you have to have summits and you have to complete different objectives you're going to have your own secret goals that you have to complete that you can't tell anybody else about aka gloomhaven ish uh but you need to complete at least one of those to win the game it's just it's really cool and it reminds me a little bit of actually orleon so if you think of orleon that was that worker placement where they came out with the invasion expansion and so you could play it co-op and it's the only way i play that game because my wife and i love it co-op and so i'm really excited to see how co2 is co-op as well yeah this game is absolutely gorgeous the board and they're updating all these uh nice wooden pieces oh my goodness i'm just drooling when i look at the kickstarter page for this one yeah, it's, I mean, it's Lacerda, right? So you, you, you're going to expect it to look beautiful because all of his games from the Gallerist, Venus, um, uh, the one that I just had, Lisboa. Oh gosh, Lisboa. I could just stare at that board. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's really blue, but other than it being really, really blue, it's really beautiful. It's, yeah, it's interesting too how he decided to add the secret goals into the co-op mode to kind of manage that alpha gamer issue that co-ops often have. That was Kind of clever. Um, I'm curious how that's going to execute in reality. It'll be interesting because I think I actually kind of liked how Orleon did it a little bit better, where it's not, uh, I have a goal, but it's a personal goal, but everybody can know what it is, but I have to complete it. Nobody else can. And so that means you can't tell me what to do for our overall objective because I have to complete my personal goal. But at the same time, if I'm playing a game with a secret objective and I'm playing it a co-op, a lot of times I'm going to hint at what it is anyways to yeah. the point where people are probably going to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I do that with Gloomhaven all the time. I mean, when Timothy and Monica and I play Gloomhaven, we always are like, well, I have to open up the door now. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> he has that one where he's got to be the first one to open up a door. Okay. You know? Oh, yeah. And so that that would be the thing that, you know, well, does it need to be secret? I don't know. Maybe, maybe for certain groups it will work better being secret. But regardless, I just really like the idea of a personal objective, something I have to complete. So you can't just carry me along as a co-op player. I have to complete something on my own. And then I can also contribute to the team as a whole. Okay, cool. I think that's all we have for news. So normally our news won't be this long, but first time we've got lots of stuff we wanted to talk about. So I hope that's okay. I hope you guys are enjoying this. So normally what we would do at this point is we would want to go into a deep dive on a specific topic. Maybe it would be about a game itself, or maybe it would be about a game mechanic, or maybe it would be about games overall hey you know what do we think about kickstarter what do we think about um, fantasy flight something like that right and and this is where we're going to ask you for help so we want to do a giveaway with this podcast and what we'd like to do is we're going to do a 75 dollar giveaway and what we need you to do in order to enter is just send us an email at onestopcoopshop at gmail.com and let us know what type of topics you would like to hear in a podcast. And what we'll do is each week then or each each time we do uh, an episode, we'll pick some of those to talk about. Um, but if for every idea that you give us, we'll give you an entry into this giveaway. And then at the next podcast, we'll let you know who won, and then we'll send you an email and we'll get you your $75 award. Also, feel free to send in news ideas. And we'll target that next podcast to be about two weeks out, I think. 
For this week, though, what we're going to do is we're just going to talk really briefly about how did we get into board games itself. So you guys all kind of know who I am, so I'm going to let Steve go first. Steve, first, can you just tell us how long you've been playing board games, and then what type of games did you play before getting into the hobby, and then just a little bit about how you got into the hobby itself. Yeah, so I think I've been playing board games basically my whole life. I remember growing up. Um, I am the oldest of three, and I have two younger brothers, to be exact. And my family always would sit down and play, uh, play board games every. It wouldn't be frequently, but somewhat regularly, we play board games. And these would be your normal like uh, game of life. Um, uh, we played uh, what's that game called? Auction game, uh, Masterpiece. Played Masterpiece a lot back in the day. Um, sequence stuff like that. So we we kind of kind of grew up playing a lot of these games. When I hit around middle school. I wound up hearing about the game called Magic the Gathering. Some of you guys might have heard about this game. Maybe. <laughs> Just maybe. maybe. And so um, we started getting really into that. And it was really fun because my brothers wound up playing too. So we would all build decks and play against each other. And we kind of collected different colors, which is kind of fun. So we all had different colors. And, and we even went to tournaments. It was fun to go to tournaments, but... I didn't take it that seriously, so like I had fun playing it, but winning and losing, I didn't really care that much. So it's fun to do that for a bit, but I just really love all the intricacies, all the strategies, combos you could do. Um, I always made thematic decks, too, every time. So that was great. And then um, I kind of started going off to uh, college, and my brothers kind of were picking up a different game. And so they started playing a game called Hero Clicks. Um, so it's like basically like superhero chess where you've got, uh, it's made by WizKids and you've got these um, superheroes and they've got bases with numbers and colors on them and they take damage, you click them down and the number and the colors and numbers change, which means different powers, different strengths. And you kind of move these around the board and you have these big skirmishes. And so I played that with my brothers in tournaments too. That was a lot of fun. I always collected the X-Men. My brothers collected different characters and um, my brothers got more into it than I did, but it was still a lot of fun to play. So I kind of grew up in these this competitive type environment, and I brought that with me. Uh, both Heroclix and Magic went to college, and kind of introduced that to some of my friends there. When I was in college, one of my uh, good friends he uh, he had a game, and he's like, "Hey, you want to play this game?" Like, oh, "Of course I do. Yeah, let's try it out." And the two games he t- taught were uh, Settlers of Catan, which is now called Catan, and uh, Robo Rally. And I sat down playing this game, like, "Oh my gosh, what is this? I've never heard of these games. These are." These are really fun and good. And uh, so I uh, I love civilization type games, uh, especially like Civ on the computer. I was really big into that at the time. So like Catan had that vibe to it. It's like, wow, this is really good. So I wound up um, buying it and playing, introducing others. It was cool. And so I started like seeking these out, went to some game stores. Anyway, I went to a game store and I saw this, this giant bullet sitting on the shelf. And it was bang the bullet, but it was like the giant bullet big uh, piece. I was like, what is this game? What's this about? So I was like trying to find information online. And the only place I could find information about this game was Board Game Geek. And ever since then, it went downhill and I've been sucked in and just pulled into this big, crazy community. And I, I love it. And luckily, my wife puts up with it. So <laughs> so I started uh, collecting a bunch. Um playing all sorts of games, trying to figure out what my vibe is. I tend to like thematic games, and so um, anything with a good theme gets to sink into. Um, dice rolling is fine. It doesn't bother me too much. Um, uh, but otherwise, I kind of like the gambit of depth. Um, I like light games and heavy games. It's fine. It doesn't matter too much to me. But with my wife, we like playing co-op because 
she doesn't always like being competitive with me and she'll always play co-op and even her brothers and my brothers we always like that too so i started navigating more towards co-ops and ever since then um, i feel like my collection's fairly flushed out um, at least i'm happy with it on the competitive side of the nature and so now i'm kind of like really delving into the co-op and solo games and that's kind of how i uh eventually came across uh colin's youtube channel once i co-op shop and kind of it's kind of where i ended up well, that's really awesome. It's fun to hear how people got into the I uh, got into this hobby. I mean, this is this is one of those hobbies where you can just really go off on the deep end. Well, the one thing I really appreciate about the hobby is the community. What I would have to say, when you're a board gamer, the type of person that you are generally has to be someone that you can relate with other people because what you're doing most of the times when playing board games is you're playing with others, right? I mean, I know that what we're doing right now and what we talk about right now are solos and co-ops that a lot of them you can play solo. But why is it that you play solo? A lot of times you play solo just because there there isn't anybody else to play with and so you're just wanting to play a game, and that's why you're playing solo. But overall, you play board games, and you play them with other people. So you have to be able to relate and and be a well, quote-unquote nice person to be able to play board games. Because otherwise, no one's going to want to play with you. Agreed. Yeah, I clearly agree. <laughs> right? The other thing I've been finding out, too, it's really nice. It's a it's a great equalizer. So it doesn't matter your background, like your, your political views, your age group, your different demographics. You know, this... To bring everyone to a table about a board game. It brings them down to a a common topic or a common activity that everyone can relate to and talk about. And I really appreciate that, and so that's kind of why I really got into the game. I just love the social aspect. I'm meeting so many new people, and and just another reason why I want to start this this uh, podcast to kind of grow into the community and kind of meet more people. Oh, that's awesome. Wow, your story is totally different from mine because, I mean, well, not totally different. So I started off, I started off when I was a kid, uh, I purchased all the Pokemon cards I could. I mean, I, I would say I was a huge Pokemon collector, never played the game, never, ever even played the game. Still don't know how to play it, but <laughs> I collected all the cards because, hey, that's all the na- what the neighbor kids were doing. And then from there, I upgraded, quote unquote, upgraded to Yu-Gi-Oh! So I found Yu-Gi-Oh! I was really into Yu-Gi-Oh! But that one, instead of collecting, I actually played Yu-Gi-Oh! And I actually went to tournaments on that one. So I got really into deck building and, and you know, trying to get those really expensive cards, which was always hard to do, doing lots of trading, blah, blah, blah. It was great. So I did all that all through grade school, started to get to high school, and that's when I found a lot of those higher strategy games from, like, Eagle Griffin games, Axis and Allies, War, Age of Imperialism, Civil war so i did a lot of these war games that i played with a lot of my buddies in high school well we started getting substantially competitive i mean to the point where people were pretty upset at each other a lot of the times and we'd pull out a game and we'd play for three hours and then someone rolled six sixes and they really shouldn't have and you know people got really pissed and and so it ended up kind of ruining some of those relationships so then at the end of high school, I was just done playing board games because I thought, well, all these board games, all they are are just overly competitive and people aren't, they, we aren't being able to be civil with each other, right? So that was the group that I was playing it with. So totally stopped all through college. I focused on school really because I decided I wanted to be a CPA. So I focused on that 
had to deal with getting your CPA license, which if anyone has done that, you know, that's a lot of work. (laughs) So got the CPA, worked at Deloitte for about five and a half years and life was just work and, and kids. Cause we had my wife and I had two kids at that time, but then all of a sudden after I passed the CPA, I realized that I, I felt like I was missing something in my life and I didn't know, you know, what, what what's going to be my hobby. And so Monica had heard about these things called cooperative board games. And so she decided to pick up Pandemic for me for, for my birthday, February 2015 and or 2016, excuse me. And I played Pandemic and my, my brain was blown off. I was like, this is great. We can play a game and I don't have to be so incredibly competitive with everybody. And it was wonderful. And so after pandemic, I went, okay, there's Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert. And then there's, oh, there's Legends of Andor. There's Fireteam Zero. There's um, Flashpoint. And all of a sudden, boom, that's that's how it started. <laughs> so I'm one of those pandemic people where I got into the hobby all because of pandemic. And I watched playthrough videos of Paul Darcy, uh, Doug Herring, and uh, Rado. And J play. Those are like the the four that I watched the most to learn how to play games. And I went, whoa, this is really cool. And people are watching this and they are finding it really helpful. And I found it so helpful. And I was like, you know what? I love this so much. I'd like to be able to give back and do the same thing. So I started a channel on this focusing on games I really liked, which were co-op games. So I at first pretty much only played co-op games. And then recently I found somebody at work, uh, his name's Phil, and he's really into competitive games, but in in a different way than what I was used to in high school. We're now playing competitive games that aren't so attacky at each other, but instead of games like Seven Wonders or um, Race for the Galaxy, and all of a sudden I'm, now I'm, I, I think I'm finding that perfect spot for me. I am someone that likes low interaction competitive games. So I don't mind if I'm trying to get into your way by taking a worker placement spot. I love that in a competitive game or thinking of seven wonders, I'm going to draft a card, then you can't draft something else. Or, you know, I, I like that type of competitive game. What I don't like are those ones where I'm destroying your units and I'm just going and trying to destroy you or eliminate you from the game. Um, but I'm definitely finding how much I enjoy those competitive, you know, uh, engine builders. Oh, I'm, I'm loving them. And so we've been doing a lot of that. I do a lot of that at work with Phil. And then I'm playing a lot of co-ops at home with my wife and with my other gaming buddies here. It's just, it's great. So I'm really, I'm still kind of finding my way into board games of what I like the most, but I for sure am all about co-ops. I'll play any co-op with anyone at any time because it's just a great, it's a great way to, A, get to know people. Uh, because you don't have to feel like you have to beat them. And and I, it's so funny. Whenever I play a co-op game, the discussion around the table, it's so fun. And then you play a competitive game and everyone's quiet. Yep. yep. Always like this, which is totally fine. It's just a very different experience. And I would say overall, I really like the co-op experience where there's discussion. That's That's my thing. I mean, I love doing things in teams. I love hearing about other people's much better strategical decisions than mine. (laughs) That's the best part, right? I go, oh, we should do this. And you go, well, actually, what if we did this? And I go, oh, that's actually a lot better. Yep, yep, yep. That's great. (laughs) You know, and that's that's a lot of fun. And my wife is really good at that stuff. And so uh, it's really fun to work on that with her and do that with her. So, yeah, it's been a blast. Yeah, I love the discussion, too. It's funny, too, how um, I think my first co-op was also pandemic. Um, And... I've actually used that. I used to uh, volunteer for uh, 
uh, first uh, first robotics. Um, so if you're not familiar with it, it stands for for inspiration and recognition in scientific technology. And basically, um, there's different levels, but you go you meet up with uh, students and you build a robot and you do these fun little competition. So anyway, I was traveling with uh, the team I was volunteering with this is, uh, back when I lived in Iowa. And uh, I brought some games with me, of course. And so um, I, some of the kids were, I said, okay, yeah, meet downstairs in the lobby. We'll have to take a break from this robotics and I'll, I'll teach you a game. I'm like, oh, sure, why not? Come down. So I pulled out Pandemic, sat down, sat down, set up the pieces, started playing it. And I could see, and these are high school students, I could see like gears are turning. They're, it's clicking for them. Like, they're like, oh my God, what is this? And just more people come down as they see, hey, what are you guys doing? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. So I stand up, take my, take my seat, sit down and play. And so pretty, pretty soon there's like, uh, like eight or so people hover around this game and they're all like having this massive discussion. They're not like really playing each piece. They're just like playing collectively and they were just, I loved it. I just sitting back watching them like play through this game. It was great. They were hooked. Yeah, it's just, it's something about, I mean, you have to have the right group, right? You can't yep. have somebody who's going to tell everybody what to do. Agreed. If you don't have an alpha gamer, what you can get from this is some really awesome discussion. And I would say of all the games that I've played, I remember most of my co-op ones better than the, even the games that I've played competitively that I've won. Yeah, I remember I won Seven Wonders. Wow, great. But you know what? I remember when we played Pandemic and Monica did this one move with the dispatcher and moved me just to that spot so I could take care of that last disease. And, you know, it, 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 it creates that story that you remember. And that's something that I've always loved. And it's something that I feel like you can get from a co-op really, uh, really easily compared to a competitive game. Yeah, totally agree. Cool. Well, yeah. So that that's well. That that'll be it for this time for discussion. I think our podcast will be more than long enough. <laughs> uh, but yeah, don't forget send me uh, and uh, Steve ideas for future discussion to topics at one stop co-op shop at gmail dot com. Every one that you give us, that's going to be an entry. And then in two weeks' time, we will do the $75 giveaway. Thanks, guys, for listening. Hope you join us next time. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day. Mm -hmm.